Hey, everybody. Thanks, as always, for tuning into Front Row Knowles. KJ and I can't thank you enough for continuing to listen as we get into, I think, our 10th year of Front Row Knowles. Also, a special thanks to Seminole Boosters, who continues to support the program. The schedule is out. Quick reminder, your ticket and priority renewal deadline is April 18th. Great schedule, great optimism, great excitement about what's ahead in 2023. None of it's possible without Seminole Boosters. So to those of you who are members, thank you. To those of you who are not, log on to SeminoleBoosters.com to learn more. And now, Front Row Knowles. Broadcasting from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Good day, everybody. Tom Block, Keith Jones, back with you for Front Row Knowles. KJ, how are you, sir? Uh, disappointed, but proud. How about that? Well, that certainly, I think, is how most of us feel or felt as we watched the Seminole softball team go up, unfortunately, just against the juggernaut. I mean, they're a dynasty. and Very much. So. You really, I don't think you can point back. We'll talk a little bit about this with Bob Franti when he joins us because he was out in Oklahoma City. I don't think you can hang your head. I don't think this is one of those things where you can go back and second guess a million things. I think at the end of the day, you can walk away knowing you're a damn good team and Oklahoma's just one step better, whatever you want to say, one arm better, however you want to phrase it. They're just great. It's it's the proverbial running into the buzzsaw. And in order, and in keeping with, I started saying order, but in keeping with how things are going, obviously anybody who has followed this knows that Oklahoma's number one pitcher has already announced she's going into the portal. She's going back to Nebraska, who she originally committed to, then decommitted, signed with Oklahoma, won a couple of national championships, and, and welcome to the age of the portal. She's back in the portal, and everyone believes she'll go back to Nebraska to try to build upon that. The portal, conference realignment, all that has completely changed what we grew up accustomed to, KJ. There was a time where an Oklahoma Sooner would never transfer to be a Nebraska Cornhusker. No question, a, no question. Nor would a Miami Hurricane transfer to be an FSU Seminole, but now we're all holding our breath to see if he gets his waiver cleared so he can play on that defensive line for FSU. And this is, while I'm excited that that, that Daryl's here, this is, Keith, this is the old man portion of the show, which really is the full portion of the show every week now, I think, at this point. <laughs> at for least my of side of it. All of these things do away with a lot of what we love about the sport. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. I don't know where it'll end up. The SEC staying at eight conference games, but if FSU ends up in a different league, if Miami doesn't come with, that rivalry could go away. I mean, it becomes a once every six or eight years the way Miami plays Florida. If FSU somehow ended up in the Big Ten instead of the SEC, do they still play Florida? These are, I mean, I'm not throwing it out there to gaslight right now, but those are things that they could but in the next few years. This is this is the age that we live in. You and I have talked about for years and years and years on this show uh, that we're, we're, we're very much old-fashioned. You, you much more progressive than I am. But the realities is, are, rather, if you want to continue to be a fan of college football and, and the lesser sports as well, and lesser not in terms of importance, just in terms of revenue generation, it's going to be driven by football and it's going to change even more than it already has. 
coaches certainly have had to dive into the deep end in terms of the changes, whether they wanted to or not. Right. I'm I'm sure they wanted a lot of this, but now the unintended consequences or the unforeseen 24-hour, seven-day-a-week weeks that were already – there was a lot of those. And granted, coaches are well compensated, talking about football coaches here, but pretty much all D1 major college programs are pretty well compensated. I don't know if they knew that they were going to have to scan the internet and be recruiting and re-recruiting the same players six times during a five-year career. I mean, it's just endless. They've been in the middle of camps at Florida State. There's more camps coming up. It just seems to never end. And and to their credit, in some extent, and for, forgive me for my clocks if you're hearing them, you know, that there are support staff, but the reality is you've got support staff that's been their entire career or at least their time in their career, seeing who went in and out of the portal or who who is or is not coming to a camp or who is or is not announcing that they've got, you know, FSU or Florida or Miami or whoever in their top three and their top five and their top seven. I mean, it is a 24-7, somebody's got to pay attention to it job these days. That. Also goes for media types like our very own Bob Ferrante uh, from the Osceola, who will join us here momentarily. Uh, they too have to keep up with all this news because it never stops. So yeah, but we'll they get, get to travel some. They get to travel some. I mean, he got to go somewhere. That's true. That's true. And we'll hear all about his. Uh, we know what happened on the field. We want to know what took place off the field for Bob Ferrante out in Oklahoma City. We'll try to answer that question. When we come back on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now back to Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles as we open up that Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. We say hello to Bob Ferrante from the Osceola, who has been busy. There was a time, Bob, where June and July slowed down a little bit. Uh, well, really, it would slow down after softball and baseball season ended. But uh, on the football field, it, it feels like it's much more active now than it used to be. Keith and I were just talking in the first segment about, and I know the coaches are well paid for this, but there's always a camp. You're always having to pay attention to who woke up on the wrong side of the bed and is flirting with entering the portal, uh, whether it's one of your own that you got to re-recruit or somebody else that maybe is interested in leaving wherever they are. I just I don't know. It, it is what it is right now. It's it's the way of the world. But but man, I, I'm I can see why there's assistant coaches who are are tapping their network to see if there's any NFL assistant coaching jobs out there, where where the time off is negotiated and guaranteed. Yeah, the calendar is is gotten crazy. I mean, we used to have pockets in January that were a little bit down. Used to have some pockets after the spring football game that were a little bit lighter. May used to be very very light historically. Now you got the transfer portal windows. And like you said, the re-recruitment seems pretty constant these days. Um, yeah, so it, it's not not so much of a fun calendar. Um, you guys may have talked about this in past weeks, but but Nick Saban, I think, mentioned that his staff works seven days a week, somewhere around 43, 45 weeks out of the year, which is is pretty tough. That's That's a true grind on you, regardless of how much you're getting paid at those uh, high dollar levels. Yeah, but the dollars are nice. But, you know, when you're working those 14, 16, 18 hour days back to back to back to back, 
at some point it does wear on you. Now, agreed and understood. There's staff, there's people that spend all their time just hitting refresh on that on that portal window. Who went in? Who who who's there? But the the reality is, it it's never been more of a twenty four seven three sixty five job than it is right now. It, it seems like the race is always on in that regard. You want to be the coach who's contacting the prospect and the transfer portal the fastest. You, you want to be having that conversation 10 minutes or 15 minutes after somebody jumped in the portal. I, I think it's, it's always been maybe highlighted in the media that, you know, again, Jermaine Johnson, one of his first phone calls was from Mike Norvell, but that puts a grind on you and your staff to be one of the first ones to make that impression with a prospect. And, and while it does make an impression, like you're saying, somebody's got to be there, you know, constantly monitoring. I don't, is that an 18 hour a day job? We have to take shifts and, and then somebody has to cover bathroom breaks. I mean, how does this work? I have, I have questions. Well, let, let's, let's jump into the camps because it is camp season right now. And it, the, the general uh, thought, I think, Bob, and you, you guys in the Osceola have been out there, uh, in a very broad stroke is simply that the talent that they're bringing in now is better than what it has been the, the past couple of years. But as an aside, I look at all these camps and try to keep track of them. And there's a big man and there's a mega and there's an elite. And KJ will appreciate this. It's like shopping for toilet paper at Costco. Like, do I want the mega roll or the ultra roll? Like how many different camps do we have here? Spell them out for us. Yeah, we were talking about that with Pat too. I mean, it's definitely evolved in maybe a maybe a good way, maybe in a not so good way. I don't know, but potentially specialization in that regard helps you as far as what you're looking for. We certainly didn't have this in the 1970s and 80s where everything was, you know, like you said, big man, seven on seven, quarterback, kicking. There's a kicking camp Wednesday at, at Florida State, and it's not going to be like a one-hour camp. It's going to be a lot of kickers here. So it, it's gotten a little nuts. Um, I, I will say, I think the cool thing about these camps are while Florida State's hosting them and they are putting out offers, for example, at this mega camp that had 900 plus kids there. And you might say, well, why do it for, say, five offers out of 900? Well, you've got Clint Trickett coming back as a Marshall assistant coach. He's looking for players from the state of Florida and the southeast and Rick Stockstill is there, you know, looking for Middle Tennessee. You've got, you know, Lawrence Dossi at App State. He's there. Indiana sent their staff. Um, so it is kind of cool that I think maybe coaches run these mega camps, but allow either, say, friends in the business to attend or help out as coaches, instructors. So it, it, it is, I think, in an end goal, maybe trying to find as many prospects a scholarship, a chance to go to college and and play football and get a degree. You know, the bottom line of it is it's all about recruiting. It's just another method to have some opportunity to see a kid face-to-face -face and to get a chance to know him. Uh, I think we also have to recognize that it is an opportunity for those 900 kids. I mean, there's only so many five stars and four stars and three stars out there. And coaches that take the time to mine the talent and to find that that late bloomer, that that individual that's coming off an injury his junior year in college, or excuse me, high school, and didn't get a big look his senior year, 
uh, or, or had an injury his sophomore year, didn't have a big junior year, so nobody's paying attention to him as he gets ready for the senior year. All of that benefits the kids. Uh, so while we complain and we fuss because we're tired, obviously the assistant coaches are tired, the bottom line is it's an opportunity for these kids to be seen, and that's why you have 900 or plus have that, you know, there. They're wanting to show out. It's kind of a chamber of commerce thing to me. You're, you're opening up your doors. Here's Florida State. Here's what we're offering for those who meet our criteria as, as a program, as a power five. But also, you know, the high school coach can say, well, I'm comfortable bringing in 10 or 12 guys. And it's not just for my elite prospect. It's for my other 10, 11 guys. And they can get a workout in front of a group of five coach or an FCS coach. So it really does, I think, build bridges with high school coaches. And again, this, this goes back to our question of Mike Norvell years and years ago. How many relationships did he have with the state of Florida high school coaches? How was he going to build it? Could he... Could he do that through COVID? Would he, how would he get creative? And we saw that he did, obviously, during COVID. But, you know, for all the questions of, is the transfer portal the priority? Is the high school football recruiting the priority? It's all part of the package. And, and I think Norvell has gotten into this where he's done a really, really good job of just building relationships with high school football coaches. You know, Florida, Georgia, we saw kids from Mississippi, Alabama. I mean, kids are not just driving in one hour. When you're driving from Mississippi or you're flying from North Carolina, it's an investment, you know, from from you, from your your coaches, your high school boosters to get you to Tallahassee for these kind of camps. You went right where I was going to go next on that, Bob. In a way, it's recruiting the coaches who they may bring five or seven kids here right now, and maybe none of them are Florida State caliber. But four years from now, when they got a five star. And the five stars thinking about a couple schools, the coach might be more inclined to say, you know, you really should consider Florida State or at least take a visit because I've been up there several times because the coach will appreciate that that what FSU's doing or what Norvell's doing with the mega camp is he's, he's creating opportunities and exposure for other kids that might not have that chance, certainly in front of that kind of audience of other coaches from all these programs. Yeah, it, it's really extending, you know, I think fascinating, you know, going into Louisiana, into Mississippi, um, you think of Florida State historically as being Florida-centric, Georgia-centric, but, you know, pushing all the way into the Mid-Atlantic, um, all throughout the Southeast, seeing just a lot of different prospects out there. Like you're saying, um, coaches will remember, oh, Mike Norvell is a good guy, or his assistant coaches treated us very well. They they find scholarships for kids. I think Mike Norvell being a, um, what, Division II Central Arkansas guy back in the day, a walk-on who had to earn the scholarship, I think he understands that a little bit better maybe from a prospect standpoint than a player who was a four-star who then you know went to the NFL and got into coaching. He just had a different path, a different journey. So maybe it's just a different appreciation of how a young man gets that kind of opportunity to to see college football um, really get him a degree and, and a chance at a, a good job one day. So I guess the argument that uh, Norvell has spent all his time in the transfer portal and has ignored signing high school seniors, or are we still, are we, we're just throwing that narrative away and, and maybe appropriately so? I think it's, it's still a really interesting discussion of, of roster management and the, the challenges 
you look back at his high school signing classes, you know, 2020 is a transition class. Every college coach's transition class is going to be a wow because you're going to see how many guys bailed, um, committed to a prior coach, signed for a, a Mike Norvell, right? The 21 class doesn't look great because of a retention standpoint. This is also a byproduct of the transfer portal and NIL. It's such a challenge. I, I, I would not want these jobs of, of almost having an NFL-like front office of, you know, you've, you've got your draft, which maybe is your high school recruiting. You've got your portal, which is maybe your NFL free agency. If you're trying to draw some parallels, it's tough to find the right balance. And I've, I've heard from people who say, we want him to be targeting more high school players from the state of Florida. I mean, specifically, not just high school players, guys from the state of Florida. I totally understand that. There, there's an argument historically for state of Florida kids built Florida State for decades and decades. It, it worked. There's also an argument for, man, the transfer portal has helped Florida State get older, more productive, get leaders. Those leaders can help build the younger kids and the younger kids become veterans. There's a great debate and finding that balance is what every, I think, college football coach is really struggling with. What is the right balance? And that debate's not going to be solved tonight. So just to finish up on football, we'll jump into softball and baseball uh, and, and other Florida State happenings in our next segment, Bob. we got about three minutes here in this segment. As Florida State works to piece together the, the next rec recruiting class, so the class of 24, I guess, uh, they certainly are trending better at the high school level than they have been previously. At this point, and I know there's a lot out there still, and and it can change, too, depending on wins and losses on the field once you get to the fall, for the better or the worse. But but uh, where would you project FSU to end up finishing up? I think they were 18th or 20th last year, depending on uh, where you were looking. But but how do you think they'll finish up this year? Yeah, Florida State's got the number 13 class right now in rivals. And it's a, I'd say it's an offense-heavy class if you're looking just at commitments at the moment. South Georgia has been incredible for Florida State so far. I mean, with you know, with Landon Thomas, the tight end from Moultrie, uh, you got B.J. Gibson from out of Georgia. Um, Cam Davis is, is really a, a star up in Albany. If you haven't uh, watched Cam Davis throw the ball in high school because he is a, a quarterback, kind of like a Cam Akers in that regard, but he is a monster of a running back, and he's going to be something that's going to be really, really fun to watch. I, I think Florida State's building toward a, a top 15 class. There are Position groups that you still kind of wonder where are they going to find the right guys. I think linebacker recruiting has to get better, you know, short-term, long-term. Um, still looking at offensive line, defensive line. These are, those are always going to be important position groups. But I think we're seeing a climb, to use the Mike Norvell term. You're seeing recruiting classes get better year after year. And guys, I don't know if you've noticed, but we're probably, what are we? I haven't looked at, what are we, six weeks away from camp starting? You're trying to, That's you're bad. trying to eliminate my summer. I'll, I want my July. Give me my July, man. <laughs> but, but ACC kickoff has expanded to a third day, hasn't it, Bob? So the, the league's already taken back part of your July. One extra day in Charlotte is okay. I can give up one day in Charlotte, but I want a little, give me a piece of July for some downtime now. You know, 
I've always thought, by the way, and I realize there's not divisions anymore, but they used to have sort of the Atlantic Day and the Coastal Day. We should bill it as the schools that want to be in this league day and the schools that don't want to be in this league day. How would that go? Had, had to go there, Block. Had to go there, didn't you? What, what do we call this if there's a magnificent And the third day seven. could just be Duke and Carolina so they could talk about basketball season. All right. We got to take a break. We'll come back, get back to uh, baseball and softball right after this. Stay with us on Front Row Knowles. Be sure to subscribe to the Front Row Knowles podcast and follow at Front Row Knowles on Twitter. Now back to at underscore Tom Block and Twitterless Keith Jones. Yes, you heard us right in the Prime Meridian Bank Studios. We are back. Bob Frante stays with us on the Earl Bacon Agency Hotline. Thanks for uh, staying with us as well here on Front Row Knowles. Tom Block and Keith Jones with you. Bob, you were out in Oklahoma City. Keith and I touched on this at the top. And uh, in some respects, the way the news cycle moves, this is old news because everybody in this town that listens to this show knows that Florida State came up short against Oklahoma. But I'm curious your impressions somewhat about the performance, but more just about the experience and the atmosphere and the environment and the growth of the sport of collegiate softball. My first trip to Oklahoma City, and I, I enjoyed it. I will say if you're a fan and you would like to go, go, bring a hat, bring some sunscreen, uh, go to the museums, enjoy the softball games. Um, I, I say bring the hat and sunscreen again because there's not a lot of shade at that stadium. I mean, you, you are either going to to bake or uh, you're going to be at the mercy of the rain and, and lightning delays. But it's a really cool event. Again, there's a lot of museums for the, for softball, for banjos for cowboys i mean they, they've got some interesting uh things to do out there um talk to some florida state fans who really did have a good time but yeah you know talking to sydney cheryl a, a lady who grew up out in oklahoma grew up watching florida state in 2016 at the college world series and that was why in part she joined the program and helped them win a title in 2018 so i think it's a really cool event for your your past your present, your future. I, I kind of wrote a little bit about that and that, you know, your future, your recruits are watching you, whether in person or on TV, you're watching a Florida State softball in Oklahoma or, or whoever. Your present, your players are going to remember that forever. It's part of your journey as a team. Um, and, and the past was neat too. I mean, we saw everyone from Sydney Sherrill to Anna Shellnut and all the players who came back, uh, Megan King, Lacey Waldrop. I mean, too many for us to remember our names. I, th I think it was just cool to see the family, see the family come back and support Florida State and cheer them on. I uh, got to talk to a lot of the moms and dads. It's a really fun ride for them too, as, as they enjoy you know spending some time together cheering on Florida State. And, and Bob, even if you're not, even if your school is not participating, we've seen the numbers from a viewership standpoint just explode for ESPN. I mean, this has become... Uh, a must-see TV type of event, uh, and and hats off to what they've done with the both the programs and the game to make it such an easy watch. Yeah, I think ESPN's been a good partner. I think that's a term Coach Alameda said pretty frequently. For example, ESPN, the coaches like the the best two out of three super regional format. They like the best two out of three uh, women's championship series format. That's been really well embraced. The ratings have been, you know, really, really good. I mean, 1.5 million roughly for some of these games. We've seen some games pushed 
to ABC. Um, I know some of the Florida State games drew in that that 1.3, a little bit more range in terms of you know millions of viewers. Um, again, that's not just a, an infomercial. That's truly putting your brand out there, your culture, how you coach. Um, a lot of young ladies. Um, again, I, I kind of wrote. There's a lot of people who may, might be frustrated by what Oklahoma does, how much of a powerhouse they are, how they essentially host a tournament in their backyard. But again, remember, you've got 12 and 14 and 16 year old young ladies out there playing softball, thinking about where do I want to play softball one day, and they're watching the Florida States, the Oklahomas, all these other schools that go to OKC. So it, it's a wonderful opportunity. In, in just an emerging sport for Florida State to be a part of right now. And the story's the same every year. Uh, we get captivated watching Lonnie's team, which has so much fun uh, playing and then represents so well. And obviously, uh, they're darn good, too. And I, I know they return most of their uh, – they don't return the ace pitcher, I guess, but a, a lot of the key players will be back for next year, and I would expect FSU to be back in the mix, too. Hey, let's baseball for a little bit here, Bob. Uh, Link Jarrett's had to be very, very busy in the portal. And I think they've gotten seven transfers already. They raided UCF when UCF uh, uh, fired its coach. Of course, UCF has fired back because they've now hired an FSU assistant. So Link's got to fill that position. Latest is an arm that's transferred from UF, I think. What's, what's your general thoughts? Uh, can we really know uh, what, what they've gotten so far? Or do we kind of need to wait until they get into fall ball and just take it from there? Yeah, I think the early returns are from the position players. You've got some position versatility, guys who can play short and second base, a couple left-handed hitters. You were desperate. I mean, just absolutely desperate for some left-handed hitters. As far as pitchers, again, you need a depth. Um, you know, Cam Leiter, incredible bloodlines, you know, uncles who pitched in the major leagues, a, a guy who throws, you know, mid, mid to upper 90s in, in the fastball range. You're, you're taking a flyer on some of these guys for sure. But, you know, uh, I drew Ferro, whose dad, Adam, played at Florida State mid-90s. I, I think you know what you're getting in terms of the quality, the person, the work ethic. Um, you know, some neat stories there as far as Link Jarrett just going through Drew's film from UCF and watching every single ground ball that went his way. I mean, that's that's just fun stuff to hear how committed Link is to finding the right guys for the program. How much of a difference does it make? Does it does it make you a regional host next year? I'm not willing to go that far. I think you have to see what happens in the Major League Baseball draft, for example. Do you lose a Jackson Bowmeister, a guy who really made a ton of progress this year, um, despite the ERA being pretty high? I think Jackson's a guy who could be a big piece of that weekend rotation. So, so Link is moving this in the right direction. How do the pieces fit? I'm very curious. I, I do think it's going to be a much, much better team, definitely a much deeper team come 2024. Bob, I can't help but believe the loss of the coach, uh, obviously taking a proper move, becoming the new head coach at UCF, uh, is not insignificant. Yeah, I think relationships are, are great in coaching circles. We, we always look at Head coaches, can they bring the assistants with them that they want to bring? Um, I do think it was, you know, important that Chuck Rostano and Rich Wallace came from Notre Dame to Florida State. Now we're asking who replaces a Rich Wallace. And, and honestly, it's going to be some interesting 
dynamics. Um, you know, college baseball will be allowed to have an extra paid assistant baseball coach starting July one. Um, Link could promote from within a, a Brad Vandergloss, a guy who brought down from Notre Dame. Um, I, I think that would be a nice move. For example, um, we we've got some guys through history of Florida State who are coaches. Would they want to come back to Florida State to be an assistant coach? I think James Ramsey's got a great deal at Georgia Tech, but um, I, I believe Tyler Holt at Boston College um, backed away from BC, for example, and is looking for a job. Do you look at a at a, a Tyler Holt, for example? Now you have the potential to have three assistant coaches instead of two. I think that helps from a recruiting standpoint, from a roster management, your day-to-day practice, just interacting with fewer bodies. You have, you have more coaches to interact with with your players and, and coach them up. So there are options for Link. Um, and we'll see. Maybe a lot of college baseball programs don't fill that, that fourth coaching job with a paid coach because they just don't have the money. Florida State will easily say, we've got the money. We've got the desire. We want to back Link Jarrett make this baseball program proud again of of who you have on the roster and and what you do on the field. So I think there's a lot of options out there for Link as far as he plans for the future. General thoughts, Bob, as we look back at the year that was 22-23, which is now officially in the books, I guess, as all the competition has come to a close. Uh, Familiar theme in that Florida State's pretty damn good in most of the sports they compete in. And stating the obvious, a couple of signature programs are not where Florida State is accustomed to having them, most notably the program we were just talking about and also men's basketball. But your your thoughts as you look back at this year about what stood out and, you know, how you'll characterize it as we turn the page. Yeah, I saw a good graphic the other day, and I'll, I'll just kind of, you know, mention that uh, Florida State put out a graphic that said that they had five programs that had top five national finishes. So talking about softball, soccer, both men's and women's golf, beach volleyball. I, I think that's something really to build on again when the discussion comes back to how much money as a conference you have to compete and you've got third place dollars in the ACC to compete with. But again, Alford's, Michael Alford's goal is to make you competitive at the national level in as many of these sports, if not all of them as possible. So I think to some extent, you have to tip your hat to a lot of these programs that um, you may not have what your coaching colleague in the SEC has, but you have great weather, great academics here at Florida State, great support of the fans and the boosters, and, and you're able to still produce a finish that's that's in the top five. Bob, we started with football. We can we can finish with it. The uh, several of the newcomers have met the media over the last couple of weeks, and there's another round to go later this week. Uh, I know you guys uh, have, have featured, you know, you've written many stories that uh, folks can can see on the Osceola. Anything jump out specifically, either collectively or, or individual story? Yeah, I think, uh, honestly, a lot of them are, are guys who are saying, hey, I've been on campus, you know, two, three weeks. So it, it's kind of general, you know, building relationships with, veterans and and kind of getting acclimated to strength and conditioning programs and seven on seven i'm i'm very very curious about keon coleman the michigan state transfer obviously you know when you lose a micah Pittman, when you lose a, a malik mcclain you start to think about well yes there are guys who can 
you know, fill roles who have experience. There's a Ja'Kai Douglas and a Darion Williamson and, and Kentron Poitier had, had the best spring of any of the receivers, you know, arguably any of the players out there. But then you can add a, a 6'4 receiver with experience, a guy who had 50-plus catches last year. You start to think, okay, Keon can really help you. And we're all curious, you know, Destin Hill, two years out of football, what, how quickly can you honestly learn a playbook and get back to a strength and conditioning standpoint? I'm, I'm curious, how do you get the ball in his hands? And is it as a returner? If you don't feel like he can learn the playbook that fast, put him out there on special teams. What can he do as a, as a punt returner or kick returner? Um, it's just assembling really, really good talent. I, you know, I'll always caution, I think a lot of these guys that we talk to, I, I wonder, you know, will they play four games because of the redshirt rule? Will they play an expanded role on special teams? Will they be outright redshirted just because they need time to develop? You never quite know, you know, when you're talking to them now in June, but maybe we should look back on it in in December and say, were, were we right? Were we wrong? You know, where do we kind of evaluate or, or misevaluate? But it's been an interesting group of guys. I think I think it just kind of builds to the program. The old guy just goes back to the earlier comment. Are we starting camp in July? I hope it's August just for old time's sake. Can I sneak in a few more off days? But I think it's I think typically. I think it'll be August. They're, they start, they don't start in week zero this year. They start in week one. So I think it'll yeah. be in August. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, typically it ends up being one month from the season opener, which is what, September 3rd or 4th? Yeah. Yep whatever Labor Day Sunday is right in there. Yeah. Bob, we appreciate it as always. Uh, uh, glad you had a good trip to OKC and we will try to protect your July as best we can. I appreciate it. Let's do what we can here. It is Bob Franti from the Osceola. We'll take a break, come back and finish up front row Knowles right after this. Keith, uh, despite your efforts to, to make Bob hate the fact that his summer vacation's almost over before it even started. I personally am excited that we're six weeks away from fall camp. <laughs> I've been obviously somewhat facetious. I should take the time to actually look. I don't believe that camp starts in July, but dang, we're getting close to it. There's no question. So we haven't really, and, and we'll get in when fall camp gets here, we can do the uh, you know, we can go game by game or or dive deeper. But uh, where is your optimism, enthusiasm, mind at this point? Or are you just enjoying umbrella drinks, watching the sunset at Cape Sandblast on a daily basis? Uh, yes, to the latter, no question. You know, it's it's interesting, Tommy. Uh, I was thinking about this the other day. Um, my thought on the season absolutely revolves around getting past LSU. I mean, if you, if you win the LSU game, particularly if you win it, you know, not convincingly in terms of you're going to blow them out, but you know, you're in control for 60 minutes. Um, my expectation is then going to shoot off the roof. I still hold out, you know, that, that age old thing after having watched FSU for 45, 50 years now, you know, we've seen we've seen the in, in what 88, 89, FSU number one in the country goes to Miami, gets beat 31 to nothing. We've seen FSU not uh well basically stumble out of the chute to begin the season. 
if they get past LSU, particularly if they do it well, then I think the uh, enthusiasm we're seeing is now going to then just absolutely rocket off the tracks and justifiably so. Does that make sense? It, it does. I, I would say, and, and not that this is an indicator of how I think the game's going to go. I think it's going to be a damn good game, but LSU, if you look at the way their season played out last year, and I know they were breaking in a new coach, but they lost the first game, but still recovered and exceeded expectations and won the SEC West. And and honestly, we're in the playoff conversation. Now, that was because SEC, with a couple losses, they were still in it. But So I, I do worry a little bit about, you know, how inflated does the balloon get if you win? And if you consider that it just popped, well, you still got to show up and play six days later either way. Exactly. And so, you know, there, there's my all in, but just a little bit. And, and if that makes me a not 100% person, that's okay. Uh, but I do have absolute uh, confidence. First of all, it starts with this coaching staff. You know, I think I think Coach Norvell has put together a staff that has an absolute mix of uh, youth and enthusiasm and and uh, experience and, and and guys that have been there before. This will, you know, the 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 the, the play will not be the the game will not be the 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 venue will not be too big for them. Um, and I think they've got veteran players. You know, obviously the injury bug is something you always worry about. Uh, they've added some new guys that that feel some needs. I mean, if you look at everything on paper, if you look at everything that's been written, everything that's been talked about, ourselves included, you've got to be sky high, and that's appropriate if you get past LSU. That's the one caveat that that old timers like me, you know, kind of keep in our back pocket and, and, and wait to pull out until after it happens. Yeah, I like the idea. So it's two seasons in a row that are completely opposite in terms of how you start. Last year, you got the warm-up game right against Duquesne. Right. Uh, but now you got a veteran team coming back. And I don't know, does it, does it add an urgency and intensity to fall camp? Or do we just, guys like us, talk about it too much? Well, the last you know, time, the sure last get, time. Right away. The last time there was urgency and a uh, and a uh, winter workouts and spring ball and summer camp and then fall camp because you were starting with LSU uh, goes all the way back to us old guys, 1979. And that happened to be an undefeated season. So I'll be happy, 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 happy for that to replicate itself. Game one that year was LSU? Yep. Here? There. There. I guess. Yep. Yeah. Obviously, that was that was part of the five-year run in a row at LSU. It was the beginning of the five years in a run. Yeah. Yeah. That was back when Bobby was saying, well, if I can't beat him, I'm going to take the LSU job. And it ended up – so so what was the score? How would that game play out? Let's see. The first one, we played them twice. First one, I think, was like 16-7 to 7 or – 21 to 13. It was a close ball game, but we did win it. Uh, and then we played them the next year and won a little more convincingly. Uh, but again, that's ancient history for most of our listeners. Uh, but if history were to repeat itself, uh, I would jump on that bandwagon very, very happily. 
like what you're trying to do there. I mean, you open with LSU, you go unbeaten, and you have a chance at the national title when the season is done. I mean, I, exactly. I think most of our most of our listeners would sign up for that script, Keith, if we could repeat that from 79. I would agree. Uh, defense and the rules in the game have changed a little bit since then, though. That is a, a true statement. Um, for those that can't see us, I'm just pausing right now because, yeah, you're correct. We 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 did a lot of things back then we can't do now. How many points did your defense give up in 80? 80 was uh, 7.6, I think, 7.7 a game. Yeah, yeah, that's a quarter now pretty much, and you're still playing good defense if you give up 7.7 a quarter. You are correct. Not quite. Not quite. I mean, if you can, if you can hold somebody under 24 or 21, I think you'd say your defense is playing, playing pretty well. Anything else for the good of the order, Mr. Jones? Again, just hats off to the to the ladies and to Coach Alameda and uh, best wishes to Link. I think both of the programs, you know, one's, one's on the downward slide going to ricochet back up. One has um, right at the pinnacle and just wasn't able to climb the last, uh, the hurdle, uh, but they'll be back. And um, just really, really proud of, of the ladies and, and what Coach Alameda and that squad has done. Very, very uh, good, appropriate, proud representation of Florida State University. I can uh, not top those comments. I can only echo that sentiment. So uh, well said, KJ. And I will uh, catch up with you again next week. Sounds good, Tommy. He's Keith. I'm Tom. Thanks, as always, for tuning in to Front Row Knowles.